Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm uh, delighted to be here uh, at this uh, very prestigious uh, conference. Uh, I'm particularly pleased to be speaking here in uh, Greek Hallen, because uh, uh, this auditorium and the Greek name uh, in itself is uh, emblematic, uh, symbolizes the strong ties of uh, diplomacy, trade, friendship, which have existed between Norway and Scotland for, for generations. Uh, as many of you will be well aware, Edward Gregg's great-grandfather, uh, Alexander Gregg, as he was known then, came to Bergen from Scotland uh, in the 1770s uh, and founded a, a family business which traded lobster and dried fish across the North Sea. He originally came from Cairnbog, uh, a village in the northeast of Scotland, in the constituency that uh, I represented for some quarter of a century as a member of Parliament uh, in the Westminster Parliament uh, in London. Uh, I see, I have to say, great similarities between the climate of Cairnbog and the climate here in Bergen, uh, and perhaps we know why uh, uh, Alexander Gregg uh, decided he would seek his, his new home in this beautiful, beautiful city uh, in Norway. The Greek name remained in Bergen. Edward Greig's father, also called Alexander, was a British consul here. Uh, so this is a, a very fitting location to talk about uh, this wonderful subject of renewable energy, uh, an industry which might be even more central to the economies of Scotland and Norway uh, in the 21st century than fishing was in the 18th century, uh, and one where, like the fishing industry, Norway and Scotland uh, share so much as a common interest. Now, these common interests in energy are not new. They, they go back a long way. As long ago as 1908, the British Aluminium Company used the hydropower expertise that had developed in Scotland to power the first Norwegian aluminium uh, smelter at Sogdefjord. Uh, Norway's subsequent experience of, uh, of uh, hydroelectric was very influential in the formation of the North of Scotland's hydroelectricity board uh, in uh, the post-war period uh, in Scotland. And it's entirely fitting, incidentally, that uh, one of the companies who were engaged in the, in the proposal to, uh, uh, to build a, an interconnector across the, the North Sea is, uh, of course, uh, Scottish and Southern Electricity, which is the foundation company, was the hydroelectric uh, company of, uh, of Scotland. Now, since then, both countries have learned from each other in relation to technical developments. Scotland's pump storage scheme at Ben Cruhan in the 1960s used technology which was revolutionary at the time uh, and was subsequently highly influential in an even more widespread adaption of pump storage technology here in Norway. Uh, I'm delighted to uh, announce today that this uh, collaboration between our two nations is expanding into the, into the area of heritage. Historic uh, Scotland is working with Statcraft and the Norwegian Museum of Hydropower to create a hydro heritage website, making archive material from Scotland and Norway available online uh, and ensuring, therefore, that people from around the world can see uh, how Norway and the Scottish Highlands uh, achieved their hydroelectricity uh, revolutions. I uh, should just as an aside say that uh, occasionally that uh, when there are well-publicised spats about uh, the development of renewable energy in Scotland and 
uh, my uh, determination and that of my government to, to pursue this uh, to its logical conclusion, to mobilise this, this natural resource. I often think back to uh, one of my predecessors, a, a gentleman called Tom Johnson, who uh, was the Secretary of State for Scotland in the, in the war period uh, in the, uh, the mid-late 1940s. Uh, and Tom Johnson was the pioneer of hydroelectrical power uh, in Scotland. Uh, and then the concept of hydroelectricity was hugely controversial in Scotland, and there was amazing uh, battles and arguments, particularly with landed and aristocratic interests uh, in Scotland. Uh, and Tom Johnson, in terms of strengthening his hand with the Westminster government, and decided to form a, a Council of State, uh, which would comprise of all the previous Secretaries of State for Scotland from all the various uh, parties. Uh, and uh, they were mostly, it has to be said, uh, conservative politicians from, drawn from an aristocratic uh, background. Uh, the problem was that uh, while this Council of State was a super idea, in his early political career as a, uh, as a radical uh, independent Labour Party member of Parliament in the 1920s, he'd written a book called Scotland's Noble Families, in which he'd gone through all these aristocratic families of Scotland one by one uh, and left them without a name. He decried them in the most vehement language as having sold out their country for generations, indeed centuries. Uh, and so uh, there he was faced with the problem uh, of mobilising these self-same families into his council of state to, to help him smooth the way towards hydroelectric power in Scotland. And he developed a, a technique which unfortunately these days is not available to politicians in the age of the internet and the, the constant... Uh, taking down of uh, whatever you say and using it in evidence against you. He, he developed the, the technique of, uh, of sending his press secretary as he travelled around Scotland into every available bookshop and he bought up all the outstanding copies of his own book, Our Noble Families, and took it out of circulation. <laughs> I'm afraid politicians these days are, are, uh, have no such uh, self-censorship uh, available to them. And once something said, it is remains said. But nonetheless, it's a reminder that uh, nobody in Scotland today would seriously quarrel with the, the great hydroelectric schemes that were developed in the post-war period. In fact, they are magnificent, marvellous uh, structures of engineering and indeed huge, uh, uh, huge attractions for, uh, for the tourist industry. But at the time they were being developed, they were hugely uh, controversial. Uh, and it's a reminder today that uh, if you see a a prize which is so overwhelming in its importance in terms of the economy or in terms of the development of renewable power for, for the environment, for the, the future energy security and safety of this continent and it's the planet, uh, then you have to keep driving towards that goal uh, and be aware that uh, argument and debate is going to be necessary uh, to convince people uh, on to that side. Now, when I last visited Norway in August uh, 2010, uh, I saw how nations are working together at the cutting edge of the latest renewable energy technologies, the Andras Hydro's Hammerfest uh, tidal technology is now being used by Scottish Power Renewables and the, the world's first consented turbine array off the Sound of Isla in the, in the west coast of Scotland. Uh, since that uh, visit, good progress has been made on the project. The device is undergoing testing at the European Marine Energy Centre in the Orkney Islands. Uh, later this week, the project partners are due to announce the results of the initial testing, marking the conclusion of a major milestone 
in this pioneering project. Now, I cannot tell you, ladies and gentlemen, what the results of that initial testing are, but I do think that they wouldn't have mentioned it to me if there was anything other than favourable. So I would be expecting later this week to see a favourable report on the initial testing of that uh, tidal flow device, that Norwegian Scottish technology, which is, uh, has a substantial and leading role in the development of that form of energy. In talking about renewable energy, one of the points I intend to make is the ties between Scotland and Norway are likely to strengthen and develop and deepen in coming years, and that we both have a huge role to play in the development of a low-carbon economy, a role which I believe, if we mobilise it properly, will be not just of European but of global significance. I want to speak just a little about Scotland's own renewable revolution. I want to speak about how central we regard it in the Scottish economy and to Scottish society over the coming decades. It's a revolution which is underpinned by, by three factors, resource, ambition and investment. In terms of resource, and without the resource there would be no point in having this debate, Scotland has vast potential renewable energy sources. We have about a quarter of the European Union's offshore wind and tidal power resource, perhaps 10% of its wave potential. Uh, that's for a nation with 1% of the European Union's population. We have resources of human capital, of technical expertise and research capability, which are suited to capitalising on these natural assets. And of course, our engineering and manufacturing uh, history is world-renowned, and as a result of almost half a century of North Sea oil and gas exploration, we have expertise in engineering in hostile marine environments. It is a fact, ladies and gentlemen, that we should consider when we are looking at these matters that it is arguable, almost certainly correct, that between Scotland and Norway, our countries probably know more about the waters around our nations than any other country in the planet. Uh, for centuries of expertise in the fishing industry and half a century in oil and gas development. That is a tremendous reservoir, not of hydrocarbons, uh, but of human capital, uh, which, if we are sensible, will deploy in developing new opportunities. So Scottish companies such as Bifab, the Wood Group, Global Energy, having developed their operations in oil and gas, are now moving into renewables. There are parallels, of course, here in Norway, with companies such as Caverna, uh, moving into offshore wind. Uh, the Scottish universities are some of the best in the world. We have five universities rated in the top 200. But crucially, all of our universities are committed to joint collaboration with each other in the field of renewable energy research. Uh, in January of this year, I, I signed uh, an agreement between Scotland and Abu Dhabi and the Mazda Institute, the first agreement that institute has signed with a, a sovereign country. Uh, an agreement which demonstrates the international recognition that Scotland's energy research is now receiving. Ambition. The, the combination of resources, our renewable energy potential, the engineering expertise, our research base, gives us the opportunity uh, to be the best location in the world for a variety of marine uh, engineering renewable technologies. Europe will need energy from the sea in the 21st century as it meets the challenge of becoming a low-carbon economy. We have a competitive advantage in this area. We have the ability to produce that type of energy cheaper and better on a scale that no one else can achieve and in deeper waters. Now, we see within that potential a transformational opportunity. 
transformational for the economy, for communities, for individuals around Scotland who will benefit from the job opportunities generated, transformational in the international community as technologies and devices designed and tested in the, the waters around Scotland start to be used throughout the, the world. But in order to achieve these transformational benefits, we need to have real ambition. We've tried to evolve a, a nature of leadership in this industry, which has industry and politicians cooperating together. I co-chair the Scottish Energy Advisory Board, which brings together business leaders, academics, government, to consider energy policy in that strategic and long-term manner. We have, in common with our neighbours, of course, uh, some of the most ambitious climate change legislation in the world, legislation which was endorsed unanimously uh, by the Scottish Parliament uh, two years ago. Uh, that itself is a, a measure that on some issues we can achieve not just a political majority but a political consensus if it's worked for. Uh, we are committed in Scotland to reducing our greenhouse gas emissions by 42 per cent by 2020 and we report annually on our progress towards that target. Now, that target is influential in persuading potential investors that we are committed to making this transition to a low-carbon economy, and we are committed and in this for the long term. We have set a target that by 2020, renewable sources will provide the equivalent of 100% of Scotland's electricity needs, a target modest by Norwegian comparisons, but we will come second only to Norway in European uh, countries with uh, that contribution of uh, renewable energy to electricity production. Uh, this year we have achieved our, our target of 31% and indeed exceeded it uh, and reached around 35%. Uh, we recognise uh, that uh, the mobilisation of these assets uh, require determination and will have some issues to be overcome but the goal and the prize is well worth it. We are determined to reach that goal by the end of the decade and do so by the development of a range of renewable technologies. We will build on the existing hydropower, onshore wind production. We will move increasingly offshore, initially with wind uh, and then with wave, wave and tidal generation to come. As an international statement of that ambition, in marine energy we have established the Saltire Prize one of the largest commercial challenge prizes in the world. Uh, the winner will be the team that achieves the greatest volume of electrical output above a set minimum of 100 gigawatts per hour, using only the power of, sea, of the sea over a continuous uh, two-year period. Uh, that uh, competition is run in conjunction with National Geographic, the largest educational charity on the planet. We have received over 150 expressions of interest from more than 30 countries with a growing number of declared competitors. And although, as First Minister of Scotland, I can show no favouritism whatsoever uh, in terms of who might win the prize, if it were to emerge that Norwegian Scottish technology emerged in front, then I would be absolutely delighted if, uh, if that were the case. But there is a huge international interest uh, in that prize, in that competition, and in the development of uh, wave and tidal power in a commercial, uh, a commercial area. Now, investment, including our commitment to, to galvanising investment in a world where we have the paradox of huge amounts of walls of, of investment capital uh, looking and searching for projects with a decent rate of return. Uh, and we have a, an interest, a joint interest, a, a total interest 
uh, and finding ways of mobilizing that capital to lift the, the Western economies uh, out of the torpor that they're currently in. So we're backing the ambition for a renewables revolution in Scotland with significant public investment in this very difficult public spending climate to provide the support these industries need. And although the public sums are by their nature and by definition a small part of the overall mobilisation of capital that's required, they nonetheless indicate a substantial degree of commitment. We also actively encourage the private sector. The Scottish Government hosts a low-carbon investment conference every year in order to promote the opportunities uh, provided by the sector. Last year's event had Al Gore as its keynote speaker. Uh, this year's uh, event is in the, the city of Edinburgh on the 10th and 11th of October. I hope uh, a range of Norwegian participants will attend that conference uh, as we seek to find the mechanisms which will allow that private capital uh, to generate the uh, investments required uh, to take advantage of these opportunities. So that combination of resource, ambition, investment has led to some significant results. We have within the renewable industry in Scotland already some 11,000 people. That is actually more people directly employed than even in the Scotch whisky industry. Although I have to say that famous as we are becoming for renewable energy, we're not quite as famous as we are for Scotch whisky, <laughs> just as that. And the important, though, the renewable energy output is, uh, it still doesn't match the four billion sterling or so uh, international revenue from the whisky industry. But nonetheless, what greater compliment could there be to renewable energy than the First Minister of Scotland declaring it's on a par with the Scotch whisky industry? <laughs> Now, the European Marine Energy Centre in Orkney, and I know that the Northern Islands and Shetland, the Prime Minister of Norway is going to be paying a visit later this week. But in the Orkney Islands, in the Northern Islands of Scotland, have the world's only fully accredited test facility for grid-connected wave and tidal energy converters in the island of Edie in the Orkney Islands. At this moment, there are more wave and tidal devices being deployed in the waters around Scotland than in the rest of the world put together. Uh, the Pentland Firth and Orkney Waters leasing area is the world's largest commercial scale for marine energy site, and that rates at 1.6 gigawatts. Uh, research centres are being established. Major companies are making substantial investments. And this year, Gamesa, the, the Spanish turbine manufacturer, announced it would base its new turbine, offshore turbine manufacturing plant at Leaf. Announced in February, UK offshore catapult centre will be based in, around Strathclyde University in the, uh, the centre of engineering expertise to, to mobilise the engineering progress and therefore the cost reductions that are going to be required to bring offshore wind into economic transformation. At the end of January of this year, Samsung announced a £100 million investment for testing wind turbines at the Green Energy Park in Fife potentially creating some 500 jobs as a single uh, announcement. And these developments uh, can be added to previous investment decisions by Mitsubishi, ABB, Alstom, E.ON, Vattenfall, often in conjunction with leading Scottish engineering and energy companies such as Scottish Power, Scottish and Southern, Clyde Blowers, The Wood Group and Global Energy. We believe uh, over the last year we estimate some 750 million sterling of investment in the renewable sector in Scotland alone. But also we believe this is only the beginning. Uh, our estimate 
is as a further potential £46,000 million of investment possibilities in renewable energy in the pipeline to come. The, uh, an organisation of Forum Scotland uh, said that even using conservative assumptions, by 2020, electricity exports from Scotland uh, could increase by £2 billion per year. But even then, even by 2020, even with the, the substantial expansion of renewables that we're seeing in Scotland at the present moment, a maximum of 10 gigawatts of electricity generating capacity could be installed off Scotland's coast. But by 2050, as wind, wave, tidal power become better established and more economic, the total amount, the total potential realisable resource in that time period could be closer to 200 gigawatts of electricity. Enough to power Germany twice over. So that renewables revolution is just beginning. However, major infrastructure investment is required in the form of refurbished transmission networks if Scotland and Europe are to gain the benefits from this revolution. In recent decades, gas pipelines have been a key part of the world's energy infrastructure, transferring gas from the areas where it is found, which are often remote, to the major population industrial centres where it is required. Long before that, investment in canals and railways was an essential element of industrialisation across the Western countries. Electricity transmission networks, intercontinental, intercountry, will become ever more prevalent to our global infrastructure than gas pipelines. We therefore need to invest in these networks which can transfer electricity from the places where it can be produced in large quantities in a form compatible with the future of the planet, whether those are the mountain lakes of Norway, the seas around Scotland, or indeed the deserts of North Africa. Now, I spoke earlier today <coughs> with uh, Ode Garden from uh, ECO, the, the chair of the North Connect project. This project, which is backed by Scottish and Southern Electricity, ECO Energy, uh, Agder Energy, Lisa and Vattenfall, aims to build a new connector across the North Sea between our two countries. The attraction of combining the hydroelectric resources of Norway with the wind and marine energy of Scotland, enhancing the security of supply and the flexibility and the ability to store energy is hugely attractive for both countries, allowing Scottish energy to be exported to Norway, Norwegian energy to be exported to Scotland when countries have a production surplus, enabling energy from your pump storage sites to be transmitted to Scotland, eh, and vice versa. Initial work in North Connect has been backed by the European Union, the Scottish European Green Energy Centre. I see and sense a, a real part of shared purpose and momentum now behind the project. Environmental studies in both the United Kingdom and Norway have recently been contracted. Work on the Norwegian study started last month. The UK study started indeed last week. The cable route study is underway. The route option report should be available by the end of August. And the project team is close to agreement <coughs> on the grid connection in the United Kingdom. Now, the work done so far demonstrates that North Connect is viable, could bring major benefits to Norway, to Scotland, indeed, eventually to the rest of Europe. My old friend uh, Gigor uh, Adamovich had a vision as the grid coordinator of the European Union uh, of seeing an integrated European energy market as a key objective of the European Union's third energy package. The development of more interconnected energy grids is an essential component of that ambition, uh, facilitating large-scale use of renewable energy across Europe. Uh, in my view, the 
North Connect project as part of the embryo of the development of that uh, resource and connection which is of profound importance to the future of this continent uh, is an idea whose time is coming. Now, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, what I've tried to set out in this uh, brief address is how Scotland's renewable revolution is starting to transform Scotland. However, it's also part of a, a much larger transformation. That transition to a low-carbon economy will be a turning point for the people of this planet and a part of the Industrial Revolution or the discovery of America. As countries which have benefited from hydrocarbons, which still benefit from hydrocarbons and will benefit from hydrocarbons for decades to come, we are also in Scotland and Norway fortunate enough to have rich endowments of renewable energy. That gives us, as countries, a great advantage and it carries with us a great responsibility. We should be playing a lead role in that transition. We have already a long history of cooperation and innovation, uh, as uh, demonstrated by the, the Salknafjord aluminium cementer, the Ben Cruhan pump storage scheme, and is again apparent in the, the plans for that Hydro Heritage Online Archive, the Isle Tidal Array, the North Connect project that I've mentioned. My view is that this cooperation and innovation will continue and strengthen the future. My certainty is that by working together, Scotland and Norway can help develop the technologies and transmission networks necessary in that low-carbon future to which we are committed. And by achieving that, ladies and gentlemen, we will bring major benefits to Scotland, to Norway, to our own economies, to Europe's energy security, and to the environmental imperative of this planet. Thank you very much indeed.